today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We're going to talk about a survey and a study that has been done regarding young people and COVID-19. The scientists are warning that there is a potential because more young people are being affected with COVID-19, there is a potential for a severe outbreak. And joining us uh, to talk about this is Dr. Anna Benjeri from the University of Toronto, who um, is a member of the Faculty of Medicine and is going to uh, talk about how people should be paying attention. Uh, Dr. Benerji, first of all, good morning. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. Oh, my pleasure. So let's, first of all, um, right off the top... um, should we be surprised that uh, these comments have come out that there is a potential for a severe outbreak? Because I'm not. Yeah. So I mean, it depends on where we're looking at. So there, there can be outbreaks when you have large groups of young people together, like at protests or beaches or uh, places like that. And there can be, um, you know, young people infected. The question for me is. Are they, how symptomatic are they? You know, if, if a lot of people get infected then, and they have very minimal disease, then that's not such a big deal, except that they could be spreading it to more vulnerable people. But if all these young people are getting sick and they're ending up in the hospital or in the intensive care unit or dying, that's the concern. And I think from what we've seen in other parts of the world, younger people tolerate COVID-19 better than older people. So so infections, yeah, you know, infections, but it, the question is the consequence. Now, there have been, uh, of course, um, data showing an increase in the 20 to 29 age group, and the figures also show more women are testing positive for COVID-19. We have seen, and I don't know if that's the case so much uh, here, doctor, as it is in the States, but in the States we've seen, and Florida is is an example now, it's running rampant down there, um, of a lot of people going to bars, not social distancing. We've seen the pictures of people in pools and at beaches. Everybody congregating together and i i still find myself wondering is this something that people are purposely ignoring because here it comes they're young and they're invincible or so they think you know it it could be i mean i think that a lot of younger people are just really tired and when they told us to stay home we all stayed home and now it's been and now slowly we're coming out we're trying we're going to phase three and so things are normalizing but i think a lot of people are very restless especially if they haven't been able to work and they haven't been able to, and, and they haven't been able to do the things that they normally do and there's a lot of uncertainty so i think that young uh, you know young people are getting tired of this and i understand but i think what's happening in the state is very different than what's happening here and also they've had you know massive protests going on for a long time where people are are often side by side and and there's been a lack of consistent messaging in the states you know some people say wear a mask some people say don't bother you've got the the, the president saying use bleach like so it's 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 very inconsistent uh, uh messaging here where i think in canada um even the young people even if they are getting uh, they're at risk of getting exposed there has been more consistent messaging so people you know, more, even though they may be at risk, a lot of young people are still wearing masks. A lot of young people are doing the physical distancing. So I don't think we're going to see what's happening in the States 
happen here to that degree. Um, I think that a lot of people are tired. It's been a long time. There's uncertainty. You know, some people haven't been working. So it's, it's very frustrating, and you understand the frustration. But things are opening up. We are starting to, um, you know, have more and more places open up in Phase 3. People are talking about, going, uh, you know, having schools open up, maybe not universities right away. And so all of that's positive. And I think that if the young people need to go out and socialize, if they continue to wear a mask, physical distance, then we won't see that massive surge that's occurring in other places around the world. And I know for a lot of young people, they're very restless saying, well, not young people, everyone's restless saying, how long, how much longer are we going to get a, another a second wave? Is this going to surge? Are we going to be like the states? And hopefully the answer is no, but, but no one really knows. But I think that if we remember that this will end, it's not going to go on infinity even though it feels like it's a very long time it is going to end and we can do our bit by wearing those masks by keeping the physical distancing wash our hands not touching our face do the things that we can do control the things that we can control and you know and and try to be responsible because again if a young person gets infected it may not be a big deal but it might be a big deal for their grandparent or their friend's mother who has breast cancer so so i think i think in general people are being responsible Doctor, you know, you uh, touched on a couple of points there. Uh, first of all, uh, you talked about the messages uh, coming from the states, and, and you mentioned about the president and his uh, one of many comments uh, that have been uh, kept and replayed uh, a lot, uh, his comments about drinking bleach. First of all, I can't believe that he said that, and number two, I can't believe that people would actually think that doing something like that would help them fight COVID-19. As, yeah. a, me- as a medical professional, um, I don't know if you were cursing under your breath, cursing loudly at the television, or just kind of shaking your head, but but uh, h- how much damage is that causing in this fight against COVID-19? I think the inconsistent messaging um, and saying things like masks don't work or the drug chloroquine is a good treatment with with no evidence, I think that's been very harmful. You know, I think people may say positive or negative things about uh, the government and the way it's been managed, but I think in general there's been consistent messaging here, um, and it's mostly based on evidence. And the population, because they've been looking for the, to the leadership for some guys, we've all done what we had to do. We all stayed at home when we had to. And now the majority of people are wearing masks. It's, it's becoming more acceptable that, you know, if you go into an institution or any kind of public place that you wear a mask. And so we're, we are doing what we're supposed to do. And I think that that, it's almost like a case control study. You've got in the states, this this chaos and inconsistent messaging, and look what's happening. And you have more consistent messaging, and we're told, you know, wear the mask, do this, uh, you know, do the physical distancing, and most people are doing that. And you see what the outcome is. Like you see, compare and con- contrast the difference differences between the country. It's massive. So I hope that we don't have the situation that's occurring in the states. We might have pockets of it, especially if there are people young and older that go to bars that don't do the physical distancing, there, there probably will be these outbreaks, and they have to consider that. But, but I think in general, we're on the right track. 
Doctor, the other uh, person, a name that I, I want to mention, and uh, you know, one of my career goals is to interview this person because I become, like a lot of us, such a fan of his, based in the States and giving the calm, reasonable, reasoned approach, and that is Dr. Anthony Fauci. You know, if, if everybody in the States would follow Dr. Fauci's advice and you wouldn't get a mixed message and you would just, you know, basically he's he's been telling everybody what's going on and then... He's been proven right. I cannot believe or understand or begin to believe and understand how frustrated he must be in sending out the message, here's what you should do. Yeah, I I, I can't imagine. And, you know, he's looking at the evidence. He's looking at the facts. He's an infectious disease specialist. He knows knows what's going on. And to have that message either being um, um, negated or dismissed, I'm sure it's frustrating because I think he can see see what's happening. And, and I think that we are really, really lucky in Canada for that consistent messaging and, and for people, uh, you know, basing it on the evidence and the science. And the evidence and the science is evolving. And so sometimes the message is changing. And we don't know everything about this virus, which I, I call this virus the new great imitator. You know, it can come in so many shapes and forms. Um, and but we have that consistent messaging, and we so so what we have here is trust. And in the states, there it seems like there's really a lack of trust, you know, all around. And so people are doing what you know whatever they think, and listening to to Trump say things that are not based on evidence. And so um, you know, it's again the case control, almost like a not a trial, but a, a situation where this is what happens when. People aren't listening to the experts, and this is what happens when the majority of people are listening to the experts. Dr. Benerji, I'm, I'm wondering now when we uh, talk about uh, the potential of a severe outbreak, um, we, we've heard a lot about the second wave. So this is a uh, kind of a two-part question. A, is this second wave uh, really something that we should be keeping an eye out uh, that may happen? And B, as a medical community, and this is uh, kind of the plural, including everybody. Are we ready or more prepared to handle a second wave than we were when the pandemic first hit? So this virus doesn't seem to be going away. And it basically goes into a- any place where there's a vulnerable people, not vulnerable, but non-immune uh, people. So, you know, all it takes is one person who has COVID, may or may not have symptoms, to go into a place where there's mainly non-immune people and they get infected. Uh, the, the, and, and this virus, to me, from what I've observed in the past several months, spreads like wildfire. It goes into the institution, and institution burns through. Almost everyone gets infected, whether they show symptoms or not. And what we're seeing is the tip of the iceberg of the people that are dying. So I think that this... You know, there's no sign of it slowing down. And I think it's going to be harder in the fall when you have other viruses like influenza that has a lot of the same symptoms as, as, as COVID, uh, you know, to figure out what's, what's one versus the other. Um, and so, um, you know, it probably will, will spread in little pockets of, uh, of outbreaks. I hope it's not going to be a massive uh, outbreak uh, as we've seen the resurgence in the states, I, I'm hoping that it's just going to be small pockets. But I think it will be. But now is the opportunity to find out which of the vulnerable populations and try to address that because people will will get infected. I've already been infected. Like even before they said go, I was already infected. 
um, you know, and, and I can't still can't smell. But but it's it's a matter of finding where are the vulnerabilities. It's people who are working in close proximity to each other that maybe are malnourished. Um, so you've got, you know, it's not surprising that the meat, pl- meat plants or the migrant workers are getting infected or that most of the mortality has been in the long-term care facility. So now, or even before, we should have been looking at the long-term, every long-term care facility and say, is this a place that if COVID comes, are people safe here or are they not safe? And try to make sure that things are safe. And that's why we're working with uh, the Indigenous community, trying to make sure that the plans are in place should COVID uh, start spreading in the Indigenous community. What are we going to do? And as of three weeks ago, I was asked to join the uh, COVID task force, the NAN, the Anishinaabe Aski Nation. And so I'm working with them, and and uh, we just had a petition that we gave to the Prime Minister on Friday just to say we need more funding for Indigenous communities, and we need to have them in place now. We don't want to, at this point in time, go back and say, oh, you know, this virus went into this community, and this percentage, you know, of the elders died when, when something could have been done beforehand. So now is the time to start preparing to protect those vulnerable populations in case it's spread. Like my hope is that the worst is over. You know, that's what the whole world hopes, but we don't know. We don't we haven't had the experience enough experience with this virus. We've never seen it through the fall time, so we don't know, but now we need to prepare and protect the vulnerable people. Our guest uh, is uh, Dr. Anna Banerjee. She is uh, uh, on the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Toronto and also doing, uh, as you heard, uh, some work, uh, the faculty lead for Indigenous and Refugee Health. Uh, Dr. Banerjee, you just share the fact that uh, you uh, don't have uh, your sense of smell back after the, your bout with COVID-19. Uh, it must be frustrating for you, and I know that you've seen the clips of people saying, this is a hoax. This is uh, something that is not happening, and I'm not going to to wear a mask. Um, short of putting out your story virally, uh, how can you convince these people that uh, this is something that they should not be taking lightly? Well, they obviously haven't seen uh, or know people who have died or suffered from it. I mean, in my other one of my other jobs now, the past four months, I've been calling people, screening them. For their for their symptoms for COVID, and some of these people, you know, you know, I'm not talking obviously not talking to people who have died, but I I'm talking to people who've had COVID who have significant symptoms, and some of them have chronic symptoms like the fatigue, the body aches, you know. Uh, and for me, I, I've lost my sm- sense of smell. Like I I maybe can smell a little bit now. My daughter keeps complaining. Everything t- has too much garlic in it now. <laughs> it's like, well, I can't smell it. You know, I think it's really short-sighted. And it, I think it's it, 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 people saying that this is a hoax. Um, it's not a hoax. And people have died and people have suffered. And so if someone feels uncomfortable with you being in their presence, not wanting to share that airspace with you without a mask, then that's a respectful thing to do. It's a respectful... You know, you've got these young people, cashiers, working for minimum wage, you know, all over the country, you know, and in, in especially where the, the infection is still going on. And if, if all it takes is to put a mask on to make that person feel more comfortable and feel more protected because they've got someone sick at home, 
why wouldn't we do that? Like, why wouldn't we try to take care of, you know, the people around us? It's not such a big deal to do. And so, you know, I, I think that, you know, there are always going to be people who oppose almost anything. But this is something that's simple, and this is something that we have control over. You know, there's a lot of things about COVID we can't control. We can control our behavior. And this is, real, relatively speaking, it's not a hard thing to do. So as someone who's lost my smell still, I'm telling you, and, and it may be permanent, I don't know. I've been waiting for my, you know, for the garlic level to go down in my family. But, I, you know, I just think that, uh, you know, it's it, it's real and we need to start taking care of each other, continue to take care of each other. Dr. Banerjee, just before we wrap up, and I don't want to get here on a personal note, but did you pick up the uh, uh, the virus uh, from your work? Um, when you think back, because, of course, everybody has to do the uh, uh, tracing and, and things like that, but do you know uh, how you got infected? Uh, I'm pretty sure, you know, and, and it's before uh, they said go, I already had it because... Um, I work with refugee children. I screen all the uh, governesses of refugee children coming into Toronto. Mm -hmm. And I saw a two-year-old child with a fever in the first week of March before everything was shut down, before we were using PPE. And then four days later, I was just tired and achy and cold. I didn't didn't have any fevers. And I didn't think much of it, you know, but I never call in sick for work. But I actually called in sick because I thought, you know, I've got something. Didn't think it was such a big deal. And then two days later, my daughter said she wasn't feeling well, so tired and cold and achy. So I knew we had something. And I didn't think anything of it until about three weeks later. I have a bunch of hyacinths in my front yard. And I had six hyacinth plants in my kitchen. And I was thinking, that's strange. I can't smell the hyacinths. You know, I smell it every year. Every year I have hyacinths. And I took, I took six plants and I put it touching my nose. And I, and I realized... I, I couldn't smell it all zero, and then I realized when I was cooking the gar like I was making something like, like something spicy like Szechuan something with garlic, onions, ginger, and hot pepper. I was frying it up, couldn't smell it, wow. and so it was after the fact I realized oh that was COVID right, um, and now I know a lot about COVID because I'm working with people the population that I've been working with are people who have been testing tested for covid and i have to go through the symptoms and i'm pretty good at figuring out what's covid or not but in retrospect i had most of the symptoms of covid so i didn't recognize it at the time dr anna Benerji, we uh, hope that uh, things uh, will get better for you thank you for sharing your story with us and uh, all the work that you're doing uh, for indigenous and refugee health uh, stay healthy you're welcome to join us anytime we'll maybe touch base with you a little bit later on and just find out how you're doing thank you very much Great. for for joining us it's been a pleasure my pleasure thank you very much the Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.